0: My name is Erin Kenny. I'm a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, holistic cannabis practitioner with a master's degree in nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast Nutrition Rewired where I share cutting edge practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Nice to have you on the podcast today. It was uh, great to connect with you at the conference where we originally connected and very cool to find out that you are a CEO of a water filtration company.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be on.
0: Yeah. So what inspired you to get into the field of water quality? Was there any personal interest or story that you have? Or is it just the fact that we drink water every day and there's a lot of contaminants in it?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I did my Ph.D. kind of in a blend of chemistry and oceanography. So like I've been doing like water chemistry for for quite a while. Um, the first company I was involved with, we were doing like research and development to try and develop, you know, interesting materials that would grab nasty stuff from water. So like chemical weapons and stuff like that. So we got some contracts from department of defense. So then basically when I was doing that R and was just kind of seeing that we're putting a ton of like technology on the shelf. It's like, you develop something super cool. Great. And that was kind of the end of it. And you start thinking like, geez, if we could just kind of repurpose some of these technologies in a way that they could actually end up and help people in their everyday lives, that'd be pretty cool. So that's always something that's kind of been in the back of my mind, if you will. Then, you know, time kind of went on and then the Flint lead thing happened, right? So back in 2014, Flint changed their water supply or they changed their water supply and like basically it started leaching lead out of everywhere and the lead levels that were coming out of Flint were very, very, very high, like higher than like what water filters are normally rated to do. So that's when I started thinking like, well, what if, you know, you just start making water filters that are actually designed to handle those lead levels, like a water filter that works, you know, it's not, it's kind of a radical thought, right? So that, that's kind of where my company started. So we, it was a, not really supposed to be a company, Because I was just building water filters and donating them to people who couldn't afford them. This is kind of before the big government response. So, reaching out to like daycares on Facebook and stuff like that and being like, hey, do you want a water filter? And they're like, yeah. And so, just build it up in the apartment and ship it. Right. So, that's literally how I got into the water filter game. Um, It was not really supposed to be a company. And like, once kind of that Flint effort was over, I put kind of the company on a shelf for a couple years and was part of another startup. And, you know, HydroVee was kind of a nights and weekends project. So that's, that's the long answer on how I got into water filtration. It's a little weird, but no, yeah. No, that's really with science, cool. I guess. So that's good.
0: Yeah. It, it's, um, it's very interesting. Cause that the Flint, Michigan um, disaster that happened, it was crazy to think that that was not too long ago and that we were really oh. not not able to handle that in a way that was appropriate and healthy for our population. And there's so many you know harmful effects of lead, and a lot of people don't think of lead being in water even without that type of disaster, right? which is it's harmful to our brains and our immune system and our gut health and cardiovascular health. and so the fact yeah, that it's you bad. it's real bad. <laughs> the fact that you were marketing to a population that is even you know the most most vulnerable is pretty incredible. You know they were the probably the ones that needed it the most.
1: Well, and the other thing just to kind of call out that makes it even more absurd that Flint happened is it's not the first time that a city has done this. So in the mid 2000s, washington d c did this. They changed up their water. And when they did it, the water became corrosive, and basically, this mass poisoning event took place in Washington D.C. And like the science was not, not inconclusive about this; like there was a there was a measurable increase in stillborn death rates in Washington D.C. compared to like Baltimore, for example, which didn't do the dumb thing to their water and, and leach. So the thing that the big thing to me as a scientist engineer that that's even more frustrating about it is it happened then Flint happened and then it kind of continues to happen like Newark, New Jersey, lead problem, Portland, Oregon also has some lead problems historically. Like there are a lot of cities in the United States that have a lot of lead issues. Um, Chicago, for example, NRDC, just pushed live this big thing talking about how Chicago has the most number of lead pipes in the ground. That's, what, the third biggest city in the United States. And this is post Flint. So it's like, it's like, we haven't learned our lesson on lead and we've known it for so long. That's the thing where it's just like, we, we've we never thought lead was good for us, right? Like we phased out leaded gasoline a really, really long time ago. And then it's just like this water legislation is just, it's taking decades to even do anything, you know, do anything meaningful. So, so yeah, it's uh it's, it's, it's not ideal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's really good to know. And just as consumers to be aware of, I I remember at one point I had a client and she had received, um, a notice in the mail from her town that there was contaminants in the town and they needed to stop drinking the town water. And this, this was a few months ago, this was a few months ago when we were meeting and she was actually just found out she was pregnant. So she's like, Hmm, is this like that serious? Should I be drinking bottled water? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely, so yeah, so you don't scary. like
1: if 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 it gets to the point where the city actually has to like reach out to its constituents and like disclose it, like that's a serious thing, right? like those disclosures only take place like once they've crossed a pretty high threshold. So yeah, if you're getting something in the mail, you should be you should be taking some steps to protect what goes in your mouth for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, so let's roll back a little bit. I mean, even without these more extreme measures where you know towns are sending out letters or we're we're seeing these things in the news, um, what are some just general contaminants that can be found in our water that maybe we're not aware of? And you know, we sure. can kind of talk about some of the health effects that those can have on the human body?
1: Well, we'll we'll start, I guess, with the ones that are starting to be in the news. These are the quote, forever chemicals, the, the PFAS. Now, those are chemicals that do not exist in nature. Those are things that humans make. um, And it turns out they're everywhere and they're toxic. And that's really bad. Um, This is kind of like the the things that used to make nonstick pans and things like that. So when you see these chemicals in the news, they're usually called forever chemicals. They're called forever chemicals because they never break down in nature. They're just like once they're released, they're out there. That's where a lot of the media attention is right now on those things and rightfully so. Those are those are things that, you know, you talk about the impacts of lead. I'd challenge you to go to CDC's website and look at the the health impacts of PFAS that it's just like it's it's real bad. These are these are a major concern. You also have things like lead, we've talked about lead. You also have things like arsenic that can contaminate groundwater. The thing that's so frustrating about arsenic is you can have your water can be contaminated with arsenic, and it it's just the geology. Arsenic is a toxic contaminant that just comes from bedrock. So if, like, I have a well. I live in Maine. I, I have a well. Um, if the underlying geology in my area had arsenic in the bedrock, my water would have arsenic in it, despite the fact I live on, you know, I live in the middle of the woods. and There's really no contamination sources anywhere. So that's another type. Then you have like kind of the synthetic chemicals that come out of, you know, like we had in the news, you had that spill upstream of Philadelphia, right? You had a, an industrial plant that goofed and dumped a bunch of stuff in the river and the river is a drinking water supply for the city of Philadelphia. Those are the types of things as well. So, I mean, it's just like when you think about the United States as like an industrial history, like there's just a lot of inputs going into the environment that are not necessarily super healthy for people. So, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. If that goes in the water and you drink that water, you're, you, there's some exposure there. So, sure. yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there's a lot of things that can kind of go on. Some are regulated, some are not regulated. So like sometimes cities don't even have to test for some of these things, which is kind of mind blowing to me. Again, it's the legislation and the regulation is oftentimes decades behind the science Um, so yeah. yeah.
0: And it's not, you know, to me, what's, what's very concerning is that water is not something that we're just like, it's a conditional, you know, type of addition to our dietary routine. It's not like kale or cauliflower where it's a preference, right? It's, it is no, an essential to <laughs> an essential to human life and you know hopefully most of us are drinking anywhere from 8 to 10 glasses per day minimum depending on you know what types of needs that a person has but this is something that we're putting into our you know bodies on a daily basis in larger volumes with the outcome of health benefit so to hear that there yeah. are these different, you know, contaminants and chemicals, some that are, you know, just naturally occurring in earth, but are in higher levels than normal. That is very concerning. You mentioned reproductive health. We see rising rates of fertility um, as we continue to, you know, see the years go on and women struggle with this. And of course, there's many factors that go into that. But we, we definitely know that things like PFAS and um, BPAs, things like those, those can impact our reproductive health we know that they can impact the gut microbiome, they can impact cardiovascular health or inflammation in the body. So, this is not like a woo-woo type of, you know, this is no. just we're kind of making this stuff up. It's serious and there is no. research when you actually take the time to dive in there and as a scientist, you obviously know that.
1: It's also important there's what we know. We what we know is is a negative outcome and then it's important to point out that especially with these what are called emerging contaminants the body of literature continues to grow so it's like they're already really bad but we're learning that they're even worse than we had thought they are and it that's that's one of those things where you're just kind of like okay well just because we haven't learned it yet doesn't mean that we totally understand the scope of badness right so yeah yeah
0: And it's not all fear. We're going to get into some positives and some solutions here because there's great things that we can do. But I do want to just pop back to the one of the points that you made about um, municipal water versus well water. And I would love your feedback on this. But through my research, what I understood is that, you know, one is not necessarily better than the other. Um, You know, it seems like with well water, you have more control. If you're doing regular testing, you can kind of understand more what's in it. Um, but either way, there can still be the contaminants, as you mentioned, arsenic and well water. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because it's municipal water through the town that you you know are better off with well, you, you can still have those contaminants. Is that correct?
1: Oh, 100 percent. The biggest difference between well water and municipal water is the responsibility. Like who, who's accountable for testing and making sure that the water quality is you know up to a certain standard. Um, municipalities, like water quality is, I mean, I'm not going to say that the regulation and the, you know, the regulatory stuff is perfect, but they do have a pretty strict list of things that they need to test for on an annual basis, on a regular basis and things like that. And basically, they're accountable for that. If you're on a private well, you're responsible for testing and remediation. That's just how it is. So you can have a scenario where you have a single aquifer Think of it as a glass of water, and you have a municipality that pulls from that aquifer. That's one straw. They're required to do all kinds of this testing, this disclosure, and all this other stuff. But if you're on a private well drinking that same water, there's no obligation for anyone to tell you if contaminants pop up in that water. That that responsibility sits on you. So, again, I I have a private well where I live right now. I get it tested every six months. That's just kind of how it is. Water quality can change whereas say I lived in Washington DC for about a decade I was just able to like read the water quality reports because that was on them you know so you know it's just it's a matter of like the quality of the water doesn't necessarily matter because like again you can have the municipality and a private well drinking from the same cup but yeah it's just really the res- who 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 bears the brunt of the responsibility for testing and mm-hmm. you know remediation treatment things like that
0: That makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. That's helpful. So how do you find out? A lot of people get surprised
1: by it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how do you find out what's in your water? I mean, what types of testing are available? Um, what does that cost look like? Are we talking like thousands of dollars for someone to come out and tell you, you know, is your water safe or not?
1: Yeah, so again, if you're on city water, I wouldn't bother with testing. They're required to do that stuff. So you can just they they, they publish what's called a consumer confidence report every year. You can get it on your water provider's website and they just kind of handle that. That's if you live in a major municipality, that's where I would go. If you're on private well or if you want to test for things that are not regulated, like if you want to do a detailed PFAS report, there you need to go to a, a licensed lab. There's no way around it. There's some people that sell stuff on the internet, like water test kits. They don't work. So just go to a, you know, you're going to have to go to a, an accredited lab and you're going to have to lay out some money. So for example, the, the the water testing that I did when I bought this house, I wanted to do a complete survey of what was in the water. And that test was a couple thousand dollars. That's just the reality of it. I wanted to test for radiological stuff. I wanted to do the whole full PFAS suite and then all the normal stuff as well. So... You know, you're going to have to lay out some money. If you want to test for PFAS, it's going to be a couple hundred bucks. Um, No way around it. So, yeah, I mean, that's the key takeaway here. Just make sure you're using an accredited lab. The the lab, the company that I use, um, it's called uh, Simple Lab. I have no business relationship with these folks. Basically, what they do is they work with licensed labs to send you kits and instructions on how to do the sampling. And, um, you know, they just send it off to the labs and, you know, again, I have no business relationship with these folks. I just think they're a good company and um they make it accessible for people. So I would use them. I, I do use them.
0: And you are a water expert, you're a scientist, so this you know may be easier for you to do, but would you say for the lay individual to do this simple lab test at home, it, it is very easy for anyone who doesn't, you know, have any experience?
1: Yeah. Just read the directions. Like that's like what Simple Lab does such a good job. They're just like You don't need to send someone the house. If you just read the directions, it's fine. Like where people go wrong is like when they ship you the bottles, a lot of times they have a little bit of like a preservative just sitting in the bottom of the bottle. So like if people fill up a bottle, then dump it out thinking that they're rinsing it now, like you've messed up the test. So like just read the instructions, do exactly what the instructions say. Nothing more, nothing less, and everything will be fine. Yeah,
0: it sounds it sounds simple, but I will say I'm guilty of not reading directions and just being like, it can't be that hard, you know, just kind of blow through it.
1: Yeah, you you need to read the directions for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So that's helpful just to kind of learn. So you can go to a database from your town, look up the report there. You can have someone come out and test for it. Now, let's say somebody Find out through either you know online database or through their own home testing that they do have contaminants in their water, which to be honest, what I've found in most of my research is that you will find contaminants in your water above the safer limits anywhere that you go. I, I have not yet found a report for a town that has been, I would say, up to par with what I would recommend um, as someone who works with people who are looking to optimize fertility and gut health and cardiovascular health. So, I mean, what would you say would be the the safest ways to approach this?
1: So if you've identified a problem with your, in your research, you need a solution for it. Right? And, you know, the solution on these things is water filters, right? The biggest mistake that people make is they just go out and get, they think that water filters are all the same, and then they just go out, buy a thing, and then they don't verify that it works. So it's like they think they're solving the problem, but they don't. So, you know, if you're looking at, if you want, if, if if you identify, you know, an arsenic problem in your water, I know it sounds very simple to say you actually need a water filter that filters arsenic from the water, right? Like it's not not too much of a stretch, but it's a, it's a mistake that folks make. So, you know, that's how you go about it. The best resource, in my opinion, for like people to kind of do a survey of what water filters solve those problems is like NSF International. Like they have a you know certification program. And if you identify, OK, I have PFAS in my water, um, you can search all the water filters out there that are certified for PFAS removal. Um, you know, my company makes water filters that do that there's a bunch of other water filters that do the same that do that that can also solve that problem so yeah that's That's the just the key takeaway is just make sure that the water filter you buy um addresses the problem (laughs) that you have that's uh we we see that mistake made a lot (laughs) Mm -hmm. well
0: it's good to know because you know a lot of people would just assume that any water filter is created equal and You know, you mentioned arsenic, and I think a lot of people think that that's, you know, not that big of a deal, but especially with gut health, we see gastro, um, gastrointestinal inflammation, leaky gut syndrome. We see altered gut bacteria. We see disruption of uh, immune response. So if you have high levels of arsenic, we need to take that seriously. And it's good to know that there's ways that you can personalize your water filter, and that will save you time and money in the long run, and, you know, you actually want it to be effective if you're, if you're putting the investment in, which water filters are not, um, you know, always the cheapest, but I see that as a very important investment in your overall health.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of times you get what you pay for, and I think with water filtration, that's a perfect example of getting what you pay for, yeah.
0: So briefly offline, I brought up uh, Brita filters and you uh-huh. don't have to share like a endorsement for them or not. I'm just curious, like a lot of people, including myself, when I was in college, I remember as a house, my, my girlfriends and I would use a Brita and we, I remember the battery would get low or whatever the filter would say, oh, it's, it's not, you know, working up to par and we'd be like, oh, it's fine. You know, we, we didn't really, you know, take it as seriously. We thought this, this Brita water filter was like you know, God's gift to earth and it was doing everything we needed to do. Is that true? Like are our Brit is going to filter out a lot of the major contaminants and you know, what are some of those types of limitations for those, uh, I guess, less expensive, smaller scale water filters? Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, the most popular, uh, water filter pitchers that are out there, like they don't, they're, they're designed to, re- to make the water taste better. Okay. So even if you, you know, you go to Brita's website, you know, you say, you know, you look at the picture, it talks about chlorine taste and taste and odor removal, talks about mercury removal, which cool, but like not many people really have mercury in their water. So like, all right, but if you want to, if, so again, make sure that the water filter removes the things that, that, um, that you need to. And I think that you'll find that the Brita pitchers are not designed to remove things like PFAS. Most of the, or the most popular ones are not necessarily designed to remove lead. Then you have the Brita products that clip onto the end of the tap. Those are more capable filters because those are able to use water pressure to kind of drive water through the cartridge. Those, those are capable filters. Those are generally rated to filter lead, sometimes even PFOA, PFOS, things like that. So, I mean, it's just it just goes back to that point where it's like if you if you need to make sure that the water filter is doing the thing that you're hoping it does. So, like, let's pretend you, you use the arsenic example Red pitchers are not rated to remove arsenic. So if you want to remove arsenic and you're dead set on a pitcher, you'll have to use something like zero water. For example, zero water pitchers are rated to remove arsenic. So, you know, again, they, they look a lot the same but kind of what's under the hood can be pretty dramatically different. Yeah.
0: It's kind of fun to have have you on the podcast and ask these types of questions because it feels very relatable as a dietitian, where you're like, well, what do you do for this issue? And what do you do for this issue? And and I always keep having to allude to like, it needs to be personalized. It needs to be personalized. So I'm kind of watching you go through the struggle of like, I'm going to give you the science but at the end of the day, it needs to be personalized, and I have so much respect for that, and that's a, a big reason why I was impressed by your company, Hydrove, because it is, in a sense, it's personalized health, and that is so important.
1: Yeah, what we do at Hydrove is, I think, probably a lot like what you do, where you know, you're talking about the personalization, so... You know you you do that heavy lifting on the research side so your client doesn't need to right that's exactly what we do at hydrabee so like kind of what we do is we look at every customer's water we will pull all their water quality data and then we build them a filter that actually matches the contaminants that are found in their water so you know if you get if you live in boston versus new york city the water's different so your filter is going to be different Um, And, you know, what we try to do is just eliminate that confusion for people because we understand, look, I I mean, I can talk about this stuff all day. I also have a PhD in it. Right. And it's kind of unrealistic to expect people who have a lot of other things going on in their life to be able to do that level of research and then match it up with the products. And, you know, I think I think people appreciate that they have someone that kind of knows what they're doing. Whether it's in nutrition or whether it's in water filtration, you have an actual expert that kind of has your back. So, um, yeah, that's kind of our niche in the, in the world of water.
0: Very cool. And how about reverse osmosis? Because I think those uh, types mm-hmm. of filtration systems are very popular nowadays. And my concern as a, as a dietitian, based on what I know... Is just that you know those reverse osmosis systems are very effective at removing you know so much from the water, but the concern that I have about that is you're stripping the water away from a lot of things that ac- actually might be essential for optimal health and things like thyroid and a lot of the minerals. Uh-huh. And so you know I, I encourage patients who are really set on those reverse osmosis systems to add mineral um, type of solutions back in, or, you know, make sure that yep. they're focusing on teas and things like that, electrolytes to get some of those back in. But I mean, I- I'm not familiar with the specific details of, you know, are we going to see long-term health outcomes for people if they're doing these types of filtrations that strip everything away? What, what, what types of concerns m- might you have as a, as a scientist?
1: Yeah. So I would say, the first thing to kind of understand is like reverse osmosis, saying like reverse osmosis is like saying automobile, you know, it's the tight, it's a category of things. And, you know, within that category of very high performance things and you have lower performance things. So again, it goes back to if you're using reverse, even if you're using reverse osmosis, make sure it's rated to remove the things that, that are found in your water. Now you raised, you know, one of the things about mineral content. I th- If you do the calculation on mass balance, when you're looking at the calcium and the magnesium that the water that the reverse osmosis systems remove, I think what you'll find is most people are getting like that's not their dominant source of those minerals. So, you know, they're probably going to be getting some of those minerals for their food or through the supplementation that you do. So, that is less, I think, of a concern for me. The bigger concern that I look at this as a as a water chemist is like just make sure the water the, the, the reverse osmosis filter works. We see it all the time where people like goof and they forget to change the cartridge and then it ruins the membrane and they have no idea that it's not working and they just think that it's working, but like, you know, it's irreparably broken. Um you know, despite them spending, you know, a thousand dollars on a system or something like that. So I mean, yeah. The the biggest thing about the mineral loss with RO, in my mind, is like the water generally doesn't taste super good. You know, if you look at bottled water, a lot of kind of like the massive bottled water companies like Aquafina and stuff like that, a lot of them just do reverse osmosis and then they add minerals back in for taste. Right. So it's like if if the water doesn't taste good you're probably not going to drink it. And if you don't drink it, then what's the point, right? So you got to, you know, I think there's some practical matters there. The other thing to kind of understand about reverse osmosis is that it's not an option for everyone. Um, Because like to install reverse osmosis, you actually need to drill your countertop for the side faucet, and then you have to drill the, the drain pipe. So, you know, I lived in Washington, D.C. for about a decade in a condo slash apartment. Reverse osmosis was not an option for me because there's no way that our, you know, landlord or condo association was going to, like, let me drill into the plumbing or anything like that. So, you know, reverse osmosis, again, like, it can be a really good thing. Just make sure you get one that works. Make sure you maintain it and all those other things. Um, but, you know, it's it's important, I think, especially for, you know, the 30% of the country that doesn't own their home, you know, that rents their home. Um there needs to be some other options there as well that are viable
0: yeah how about the the countertop reverse osmosis systems would you say that those are as good as the under the sink ones or not as good
1: so what we've found when testing some of these is they don't hold up quite as well as some of the plumbed ones because if you think about a countertop you know you need a pump to drive the water across the membrane and things like that. So maintaining the proper pressure differential across, you know, the, there's a lot of engineering that goes into those things. And if it's not working super well, um, you can have some suboptimal performance. That said, I mean, if 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 it's working to spec and it's spec to to remove the things that you want, they can they can be a good tool. It's just I think where people get frustrated with it is it's not producing enough water for them and they find that it's taking too long to kind of, yeah. so it's like, you might have this really wonderful, like, you know, countertop RO, but if you're just waiting for it and it's like watching paint dry and you just drink from the faucet unfiltered anyway, it's like, well, you know, what's the point? And that's human behavior, right? <laughs> like, or they might just put it through a, you know, a pitcher that doesn't remove anything and say, yeah, it's better than nothing. It's like, well, no. <laughs> so yeah. yeah.
0: I've heard that complaint from a lot of people with the countertop ones is that, you know, I end up just getting lazy about it. And there's already too many barriers to drink water. And that that I can definitely attest to because I see patients, uh, at least 10 10 patients every day. And about half of those people struggle mentally to just drink water. and, And there's no shame to that. There's just... There's a lot going on, and there's a lot forget. going on in <laughs> life.
1: Like, making everything should be much easier, right? So, yeah. you have to just sit there and wait and plan for it. It's just another thing, right? So, yeah.
0: yeah. So, it would be helpful, you know, we can kind of talk about just briefly here some tips to get people to drink more water because. Like I said, that's something that a lot of my clients struggle with. And if you're not drinking enough water, you're going to be struggling with digestion. You're going to experience more constipation and dysbiosis. Research shows that if you are dehydrated, your gut bacteria um, are actually shifting in a way which those opportunistic, more inflammatory microbes are able to overgrow. So we obviously don't want that. In addition to that, uh, energy. Uh, if you look at some research on the uh, side effects of dehydration, they are quite similar to the effects of depression and anxiety. So I hear, you know, I'm low energy, I'm low mood, especially in the afternoon. You might ask a client, well, how much water have you drank today? And you know, mm. they've had maybe one glass of water plus their coffee. And unacceptable for optimal health. So. <laughs> <laughs> we really need to to work on that. And it it can be really hard. And I've had patients say, you know, listen, I've got this water bottle sitting right here and it's at my desk all day, but for some reason I can't remember to drink it. So some of the tips that I've given them um, are number one, setting an alarm, which might sound stupid and tedious for a little while, but that's how you develop a habit. That might be the best way to get you to remember to do it the same way that you put a meeting on your calendar, you put a reminder to drink your water. Um, Some other tips that I like herbal teas, I love using like a throat coat tea by traditional medicinals, it's got like a natural sweetness, I love doing peppermint tea and ginger, different herbal teas that have um, flavor to them that can make them more exciting. And then simple things like adding lemon or cucumber, mint, different herbs can also make it a little bit more exciting. Do you have any things that work for you to help motivate you to stay hydrated?
1: for me, I love freezing cold water. So you, you know, you get, just give me the coldest water that can happen. And like, that's, that's my thing. I'm like, I want it cold. And I find that enjoyable. Like I, the tea is probably too much of a barrier for me. I drink coffee in the morning, but like the tea, I'm probably not going to do it, but I have a 40 ounce, you know, double wall insulated thing. And as long as that water's freezing cold, I'm, I'm all in. So that's, that's my, that's mine.
0: That's great. And you know that about yourself, which I think is awesome. Like you don't yep. you know people are like, "Oh, I know I should drink more tea. I know it's so good for you. Or I know I should drink it room temperature because it's so good." Don't worry about what people yep. say is good. It's it's you getting the water into your body and however you do that, preferably not in the form of 10 cups of coffee per day, but however right. you can do that exactly. that best excites you even if it's adding a little bit of electrolytes in there that gives it a little bit more yep. flavor. You being hydrated is the number one priority.
1: Yeah, I've I've been using like some of those electrolyte powders lately, and it's the flavors can be quite wonderful, right? Like that's something like, I never thought I would be a add something to my water person, but here we are. It's something I really like. There's a couple brands out there where it's like, oh, this is feels like dessert. <laughs> like it feels yeah. like I'm cheating, you know? So, yep. I've yeah. tried a
0: chocolate one recently. I've tried a watermelon one. I yep. mean, there's there's a watermelon, orange. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, like a chili mango or something. I'm like, yeah, this yes. is, is kind of awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, there's one thing yeah. I will say. Um, I know some of the brands that you and I have talked about, which we don't have to go into on here, but there's other brands out there that have things like artificial sweeteners, sugar alcohols, um, which can really cause bloating. So if you're someone who's adding like those, the the like squirt ones, I think specifically those types of ones have a lot of the artificial sweeteners or sugar alcohols. Mm. Um, So just be aware of that as consumers, that if you, you take a look at the ingredients, if you're drinking a lot, especially that might be contributing to worse digestive issues. So so
1: that's 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 your wheelhouse
0: (laughs) (laughs) i had to add my two cents in there just to just people. i
1: i love it yeah
0: yeah so hydrovive um where can people find your company i mean i've visited the website it's hydrovive.com right
1: yeah we're because we do the personalization we can't sell in like big box retail, we can't sell on Amazon, right? So the only place to get kind of our personalized filters is on our website. So just hydrive.com. And, you know, if you have any questions about your water or anything like that, we have a team of nerds that are, that they're just waiting. They're just sitting there just waiting for questions. So yeah, they're great.
0: And in terms of, um, you know, kind of people following you and your knowledge, is there a social media platform where you share um, your you know, the latest updates or anything like that, that people could follow you?
1: Yeah. So so HydraVeve, our Instagram is at HydraVeve underscore H2O. um, And that's where you'll see some more of like the polished graphic design stuff, or if you want more hot takes, I guess you can follow me. My, my uh, Instagram handle is just at Eric Roy PhD. um, And that's kind of a commentary that's maybe a little bit too, prickly to go into a branded uh, channel. So depending on, depending on how salty you want the commentary, those are, those are kind of the two places where you can find us.
0: (laughs) And then the, the most important question of the episode is what is your favorite childhood memory with food?
1: With food. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So I moved back to Maine recently. I'm from Maine, moved away for a little over a decade, and now I'm back. And it's really interesting to, like, taste the food that, like, is in Maine because it tastes like childhood. So, like, lobster rolls, corn on the cob, things like that. So, I'm in this – it's a really interesting question for me because it's, like, every time I go to kind of a a local Maine place – Like, it brings me literally back to childhood, and that is my immediate top of mind thing. So, um, most recently, uh, Gifford's Ice Cream. It's the best. Ice Cream is the best anyway, and Gifford's is incredible, and it tastes like nostalgia. So, it's great.
0: (laughs) I I just had so much nostalgia over here because I grew up going to Maine pretty much every few weeks where my grandparents Mm -hmm. still live. And I uh, grew up lactose intolerant. And so a lot of the more like heavier ice creams were not available for me, but they do have this black raspberry chocolate chip frozen yogurt that still has dairy in it. But like, as you said it, I could taste it. Like I know the exact shape of the chocolate chips. It is the best ice cream. You will not get better ice cream than Giffords in my opinion. So
1: it's, Yeah, it's so good. (laughs) I love that. Ice cream is the best. And then you add, yeah, nostalgia, childhood, summer. Maine has a strong ice cream game, which I appreciate. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. And um, it was so great to have you on the podcast today. I, I learned so much and I continue to learn so much from your social media and just am very impressed by the company that you've built and the quality of the products you. that you're putting out there.
1: Right back at you. I love I love consuming your stuff as well. I learn I learned so much uh, uh, following your your stuff as well. It's great.
0: Thank you very much, Eric. Well, you have a great rest of your weekend and hope you get to enjoy some ice cream for for the 4th of July.
1: Exactly. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you're interested in working one-on-one with one of our dietitians, you can go to nutritionrewired.com, where you can also find functional lab testing that you can order and do at the comfort of your own home or just printing out a lab slip and going to a local Quest Labs. This has been a great addition to our practice. We've been doing it for several years, and it really allows us to personalize the service that the clients get where they learn more about their hormones, their digestive health with stool testing, and their blood work to look at things like cardiovascular health, inflammation, and so much more. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.